We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We are in our study. We go line by line, verse by verse for the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 5 today. So if you would, grab your Bibles, uh, turn to uh, Luke chapter 5. We'll be in verses 1 through 11 as Rita comes up to read. And may you guys please stand as we give honor and attention to God's Word. Luke 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesariot, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were fishing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, renewing the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Lord, we thank you for your word because it leads, guides, and directs us to salvation, to joy, and to the abundant life. And so thank you as we get to look at Peter's testimony, Peter's calling from King Jesus this morning. Lord, it is a familiar story, but I pray that the truths that we would be reminded of uh, would hit our hearts and our souls. And as we walk out those doors, that we would also, just as Peter was commissioned, to be fishermen of men and women and children with the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Well, as a pastor... There are a number of things that are difficult, but there are also a number of great joys. Uh, there's, there, there's things that just bring joys to my heart and the pastors and the leadership team of the crossing. And one of those joys is seeing the gospel being shared, hitting a sinner's heart and transforming them and crossing them over from death to life. Amen? Seeing people come to faith. We get a front row seat to see that happen. I've been a Christian for over 30 plus years, and as a Christian in ministry, I've seen thousands of people come to faith in some way. I've heard their testimonies, their stories, how they've crossed over from death to life, and it never gets old. 
That's why before baptisms, we have people share their testimony to show the power of the gospel and what a miracle it is when someone is again born again. Uh, Everyone in here who is in Christ has a great miracle story, a testimony of how God has broken into your heart and your soul and raised you from the dead. Some of you, kind of one bookend would be like the prodigal sons and daughters, Uh, Maybe that's some of your testimonies, and we have that all the way to the other bookend where some of you have grown up in a Christian home, and then you just repent early as a a child. You see your need as a Savior, as a young man, a young woman, a child in the faith, and you come, and then everyone else is somewhere else in between, and it's awesome. Every person who comes to saving faith in Christ is a walking miracle. You say miracle? Yep, a miracle. Think about it. Again, you were once dead and now you are alive. You were once blind and now you see. You were once under oppression and now you are free. You were once an enemy of the king and now you are a son and daughter of the king. It's a miracle and it never gets old. Well, this morning we get to experience another miracle. In fact, one of the, probably the, one of the most greatest and most important miracles, saving stories, testimonies in all of history Jesus Christ saving Simon Peter. It's one of the great salvation stories of all of history and one of the most important for you and me in the church. You, you can make the argument that Simon Peter, next to Jesus and Paul, was the third most important individual in the Christian faith. And you might even say like him and Paul are, are like a 2A and 2B. The influence that Peter has had over the church throughout the centuries, and the influence that he has over you and me is priceless. It's priceless. Who in here resonates with Peter? Who in here loves Peter's story, his testimony? Who in here has been impacted by Peter? We all have at some point. And we're still today. In fact, when we went through one of the hardest seasons that we all went through during the COVID season, we went through the book of 1 Peter. And it wasn't by accident. It was purposeful. One said that the book of 1 Peter could be the most important book of our generation. Because as we look at the culture out there, it was the same kind of spiritually dead culture that Peter addressed in 1 Peter. And I tell you, it was a lamp and a light unto our feet to get us through that COVID season. It impacted this body big time. And so let's, let's look at Peter's story today. Let's look at our, our great teacher, our great mentor's story today on how he has come to saving faith in Christ. And what we're going to see is that in Peter's story, there are characteristics that are the same with our story. Because the gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So first point, like Peter, let us press into the word of Christ. Let us press into the word of Christ, Luke 5, 1 through 3, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the lake of Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. Remember this this, this, this sea we're seeing for the next several chapters to Luke chapter 9 is the Galilean ministry of Jesus. It's up north in Israel. And what a scene we have here. We have crowds following Jesus. Wherever he's going, the crowds are flocking to him. They're following him, and they're pressing in on him. And of course they are, because Jesus is healing the sick people. He's healing the lame. He's casting demons out of individuals. So of course they're following. Of course he's drawing a crowd. 
And as the crowd pulls in, he says he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked, he asked him to put out for a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Uh, Peter uh, and his crew just got done fishing all night long, because that's when you fish on the Sea of Galilee. You fish during the night, not during the day. And so they've been out all night long. They just pulled in. It's early morning. They're, they're, they're taking out their nets and they're cleaning off the debris because they caught nothing all night. A big fat zero. And while they're cleaning their nets, again, Jesus comes and this crowd comes. And they're pressing in on Jesus. So Jesus is like, man, I'm going to get crushed to death, so I need to jump into a boat. So he jumps into Simon Peter's boat. Now, this is not by accident. This is by purpose. Uh, Jesus and, and Peter have somewhat of a relationship because we just saw that, that Jesus just healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So he sees, he sees Peter's boat there, jumps in Peter's boat, has him push the boat out. So now he has a floating pulpit to address the crowd. And this is just Jesus in his, in his wisdom and providence using the surrounding areas as an amphitheater so his, his voice would project as he was proclaiming. The, the words would reverberate over the water. You had the, the, the land moving up a little bit, and then you also probably had some hills. And so you had like this makeshift amphitheater to amplify the message in the Word of God that Christ was preaching. It's a cool scene. And again, this is what we have to remember that this is how discipleship begins. It begins with the proclamation of the Word of God. This is what was central about Jesus' ministry. He wasn't, it wasn't a healing ministry. It wasn't a music ministry. It was a proclamation ministry, a proclamation of the Word of God. And this is what Luke highlights on why the people were really coming, primarily. Yes, they were coming because they were seeing miracles. Yes, they were coming because their people were being healed and demons were being cast out. But look, look what Luke points out to the why people were coming. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, why? To hear the word of God. That's the main reason, to hear God's word preached. Remember, we looked at last week that Jesus came and he preached with authority. No one heard this kind of teaching that was coming from the mouth of a man until Jesus comes. He's preaching with authority. And again, why? Why, like, why the crowd? Again, 90% of the people were healthy. 90% of the people didn't have a demon come out of them, but they were still coming to Jesus. Why? Because the word of God was changing their neighbor's lives. Jesus has this preaching proclamation ministry. Uh, people are hearing it. It's changing their lives. They're going back to their hometown and be like, you got to go see this dude. He is preaching with authority and his message changed my life. And that's why people are flocking to him. Because the authority of the word of God, the gospel that Jesus is preaching. Yes, people are coming because it's healing them physically, but more important, it's coming because it's changing their hearts. And it's changing the trajectory of their lives. And Luke loves this phrase, the Word of God. In the book of Luke, in the book of Acts, he uses it over 20 times. The Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God was being proclaimed, being proclaimed, being proclaimed. Compare that to Matthew and Mark. Matthew and Mark each only use it one time in their Gospels. So for Luke, he is highlighting the proclamation of the Word of God, because it's the Word of God that brings dead people to life. The crowds were pressing in unto Jesus like sardines. And Jesus was preaching the word. That's why he got in the boat. Now, don't you love that? 
don't you love that when you read that, you're like, man, I can resonate with that group. Because when Jesus saved me, all of a sudden I had a passion and a heart to hear the word of God. To press in, to listen to sermons. To go to church and listen to the, the message being proclaimed and the word of God being proclaimed to the pulpit. And I pray that the Crossing Church is around here for another hundred years proclaiming the word of God. Don't you? And here's the deal. I'm not going to be around in 100 years. That would make me 151 years old, right? I don't want to live that long. You're not going to be around for the next 100 years. But you know what is going to be around for the next 100 years? The Word of God. That's going to be around. And that's still going to be transforming lives. So what does that tell us? It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. And it's about the message about the man, the man Christ Jesus and his gospel that changes and transforms lives. Pastors are going to come and go. Christians are going to come and go. But the word of God will be transforming lives from now until the second Christ of, come, of Christ's coming. So let's continue. You and me, let's continue. Let's encourage one another to keep the Word of God central, to desire the Word of God, to press in to the Word of God. They can't wait for Sunday mornings to hear the Word of God proclaimed in power by the Holy, through the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Word of God that contains the message of salvation. It's the Word of God that contains the message of joy. It's the Word of God that contains the message of abundant life. You want abundant life? Open up the book. Read the book, study the book, meditate on the book, and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you and apply it to your lives. I love how one said it. He said, the Bible, the Word of God, is meant to be bread for daily use, not for cake on special occasions. Every day, we are to feast on God's Word, because this is where transformation happens. It comes through God speaking to us directly through His Word. That's why the crowd was pressing in on Jesus primarily. And now we see that the living Word is about to change Simon Peter's life forever. Look at the second point. Like Peter, let's observe the power of Christ. Like Peter, let's observe the power of Christ. Luke 5, 4 through 7. After teaching a crowd, uh, Jesus is on that floating pulpit. Now he, he zero in on Simon Peter. Uh, Peter was probably listening to Jesus a little bit as he was cleaning the nets, but he's a little bit distracted because these nets are huge. You know, it's like 100 feet kind of semicircles are getting out the debris. So they're hearing Peter, I mean, they're hearing Jesus preach. He's probably listening, but he's also focused on the task at hand. And then Jesus zeroes in on Peter. And he says, let's go fishing, Peter. Let's go fishing. Look at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Now, Peter, I love his response uh, because Peter experienced exactly uh, what you and I have experienced at some level in our lives. They, they just got done fishing all night long and they've caught nothing. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus say, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. In fact, not only let's go fishing, but I'm going to tell you how to fish. Now, I want you to pause and think about that for a second. Who was the expert fisherman in this story? It was Peter. I mean, Peter was generational fisherman, right? It was passed down from family member. Jesus, 
was a carpenter. That was his expertise. And now all of a sudden he has this itinerant ministry where he's going around and proclaiming, but he wasn't a fisherman. He was a carpenter. And so when, when Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Now I'm going to tell you how to fish. You can see that Peter respectfully pushes back a little bit to Jesus. He says, master, <laughs> master, which means teacher, rabbi, not fisherman, right? Not captain, rabbi, master, teacher. And then he ejects politely. We toiled all night and took nothing. Notice the exclamation point. There's an emphasis. Nothing. We fished all night. Nothing. That's when you fish Jesus at night. You know this. I mean, you live in Galilee. You know that fishermen fish at night. And you can see just Peter in his mind. He didn't say this, but he's probably thinking, this is not this is the Lord. This is Aaron's thing, putting my feet in his shoes. He's probably saying, can you believe this guy? This carpenter? He's going to tell me how to fish? I know how to fish this lake. I've been doing it all my life. Been doing it for generations. How stupid is this request coming from him? Hey, let's go in the middle of the day and push out into the deep and catch fish. That's not where the fish are. They're not out there right now. And now he's giving me advice about fishing? This is what Peter's probably thinking in his mind, right? Ever been there? Have you ever had someone give you advice that they have no idea what they are talking about and you're the expert in? Go ahead and raise your hand if you've had that happen. Yeah, yeah, we, we have. How about this? Maybe you had a middle schooler or a high schooler watch your kids while you and mama went out on a hot date, right? You come back and the 15-year-old says like, hey man, your kids were a little bit out of control. This is what you should do. I had a good friend say, don't shoot on me. That's what, this is what you should do. And then your kids would be more obedient. They would be better, right? Anyone ever happen to happen to them? Oh, just me. So you guys are all as liars then, huh? All right. Actually, it happened to my wife, not me. <laughs> and my wife, in her mind, politely smiling, said, hey, this is what you should do. You should just worry about gym class and multiplication tables, right? Lead the parenting to the parent. We've all been there. Peter says, we've been all out, out all night. And we caught nothing, Jesus. Read between the lines what I'm saying. But notice Jesus' response. He doesn't respond. He's just sitting there staring at Peter. And Peter finally gives in. But notice what Peter says. Underline it, circle it, memorize it. This is vitally important. He says at the end of verse 5, but at your what? Word. But at your word, Jesus, I will let down the nets. I will let down the nets. Even though Peter is hesitant, even though he's having all these thoughts in his mind, he obeys God. He, he obeys Christ. He believes him, and he assents to Jesus' words, even though, again, he's hesitant. What does this tell us? That reluctant faith is still faith. That even though Peter is reluctant to believe Jesus and follow Jesus' words, he still assents to his words, and he pushes out. Reluctant faith is still faith. At 
your word. Listen, we all know that following Jesus is difficult, whether you're just starting out, beginning following Jesus, or whether you've been following him for 50 years. It's still difficult to follow Jesus and his word, is it not? There are still times where we are hesitant, where we are reluctant. Thus says the Lord. This is what God's word says, and we're like, really? Really, Lord? Do you really want me to follow anyone in here? Ever have that thought? Really, Lord, you, you really want me to love my enemy? R- really, Lord, you, you want me to pray for our president? You want me to respect our president? Really, Lord, you want me to respect and submit to my husband? This guy? Oh, oh, oh really, Lord, you want me to love my wife as Christ loved the church? Really? Parent, uh, kids, you, you're called to obey your parents. Oh, really? You want me to forgive that person? You sure, Lord? We've all been there. It's difficult obeying and following God's word. And sometimes we do it reluctantly. Yeah, I would love to say that every time I read God's word and his commands for me that I want a white hot faith and I respond instantly. But that's not the case. Sometimes it's through reluctance. But even in reluctance, it's still faith and we still follow through because he's trustworthy. His word is trustworthy. And his word makes us promises that everything that he commands us to do in his word will be for our joy and abundant life. Even in the midst of deep trial, And then when we do, get ready. Hold on to your seatbelts because the Lord might do something powerful. Peter obeys Christ, and what happens? They caught a large number of fish, literally a multitude of fish. And again, this is another word that Luke just loves. He uses throughout Luke and Acts. A multitude, a multitude means numerous fish. And notice again, before the blessing... First comes obedience and belief. That's a theme throughout the Scripture. That typically, the way in the economy of the Lord is that we believe, we trust God. And then, when we step out in faith, He blesses us. That's what happened with Peter. We see in verses 6 to 7, it happened so much that the nets were breaking, and Peter had to call from help from his brother Andrew and James and John. And what's happening? At this moment, Jesus is showing off his power over creation. Peter and everyone on that shore, the crowd, is coming in direct contact with the godness, the power, and the authority of Christ over creation. They've seen it over the sickness and disease. They've seen it through the spiritual world of casting out demons. And now he sees it over the fish of the sea Again, this is why Jesus has come. He's come to reverse the curse. He's the Messiah. He's the King. He's the Savior. He's implementing the, the, the principles in the, of the kingdom of God as our representative, as our second Adam. Again, this is what we've been looking at the last several chapters. 
And here's a great biblical theology connection. It goes, takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, what Jesus just did with catching all this fish, showing his power through this great catch. Genesis 1.28 says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over it. What's the first thing that man is supposed to have dominion over? The fish of the sea. The fish of the sea. Again, this is what Jesus is doing. He's coming out as Messiah. He's showing the world that I am the Messiah. Why? Because I have dominion over the fish of the sea. When I say fish jump into the nets, the fish jump into your nets, and that's what's taking place. And this power just would have overwhelmed Peter and the crowd there because they would have took it back to, hey, this is the second Adam fulfilling the creation mandate. But Jesus has come for something more than just ruling over the fish. He's come to seek and save the lost. And that's what we see next. Third, we see like Peter... Let's receive the care and the commission of Christ. Luke 5, 8 through 11. Now, you're, you're the crowd. You're on that, you're on that, you know, on the beach. You're Peter. You've just seen this miracle happen, the power of God. They were out all night, 20, you know, 12 hours fishing, come back with nothing but debris in their nets. Now all of a sudden they have this catch. Nets are breaking, boats are sinking, calling everyone to come in. How would you have responded? What would your next question be to Jesus? You know, my next question would have been to Jesus. Hey, you want to join the fishing business? Yeah. You keep the catch coming in like this, I'll make you 50-50 partners, right? Who else might have had that thought? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, good. But that's not what happened, right? Look at Peter's response, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish that they have taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and the partners with Simon. When you come in contact with the power of the Most High, this is your response. You see this throughout Scripture. Isaiah, Job, now Luke. They fall at the feet of Jesus. They fall at the feet of the Holy One of Israel. And they see themselves for who they really are apart from Christ, and that is a sinful man. And notice the, the comprehensiveness of his admission. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He doesn't say like, man, I've sinned a little bit. I thought some bad thoughts about you just a couple minutes ago, Jesus. Forgive me for that. But I'm really not that bad. No, the comprehensiveness at this moment, Simon Peter's undressed before Jesus. He sees himself as he truly is. Just as Isaiah did when he saw the Lord before the throne in Isaiah 6, he, he had the same reaction. He saw the sinfulness of sin in his life. And he says, depart from me. Now sometimes we forget on how sinful the disciples were. We can kind of put them up on the pedestal and say like, oh, they really weren't that bad. 
Now, we do make fun of Peter a lot, right? He's the butt of most of our jokes because they're like, yeah, Peter was arrogant. He put his foot in his mouth, right? He said some stupid things. But think about that. That's when he was with Jesus. Yeah, now you're tracking, right? If he was that bad with Jesus, you know, Jesus was there to give him the look. You know, when he was about to go do something stupid, Jesus would be like, and Peter would get in line. My kids know that look, right? Think about Peter. He was a roughneck fisherman. These dudes were rough, man. They were strong. They were intense. He was probably a brawler. After a day of fishing on a lake, they probably went to the bars, and he'd probably be at the, at the bar getting some bar fights. We know that Peter had a temper, right? Remember when they came to arrest Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane? What was Peter's knee-jerk reaction? Pull out the sword and start fighting, right? Start fighting. It's a sinful man. But notice something else. Notice how he addressed Jesus. He didn't call him master anymore. Didn't call him teacher. Didn't call him rabbi. What did he call him? Lord. Depart from me, for I am sinful man, O Lord. That word Lord means supreme authority over me. God. He recognized Jesus at that moment as the Christ. When Jesus focused his power, his authority over creation in front of Simon Peter, Simon Peter now understood in whom he was standing in front of, and it was the presence of the Holy One, the Christ, the Messiah who was to come. He is here in flesh and blood in front of me. And when that happens, when Jesus is standing in front of you, you humble yourself, you get on your knees, you confess your sin, and you call him Lord. That's what Peter did. And on this day, on this confession, everything changed for Peter. And several men and women in that crowd, they were also astonished by the power of God. And it's the same with us. It's the same with us. When we are confronted in our sinfulness with the gospel in the power of Jesus, we see our need. We see our hopeless state. And at that point, we humble ourselves. We get on our knees. We confess our sin. And we call Jesus Lord. And the the event is not a bunch of fish jumping in our nets. The, inet, the event that humbles us is that Jesus, the Son of God, stepped out of heaven. He walked on this earth as your substitute and my substitute. He lived the perfect life in your place and my place. Then he went and died on the cross for your sin and my sin. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. That's the power that we're bound to. Not only what Jesus has done for us, but who Jesus is. The Son of God who came to seek and save that which is lost. You and me. That is good news this morning for us, isn't it not? Something else real quick. This little detail that I want to point out that most people don't catch. 
And it's something that we need to be thankful for. Simon, when confronted, said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. What did Jesus not do? He didn't grant Peter's request. He could have, but he didn't. Isn't it good that Jesus doesn't always give us what we ask for? He could have left Peter in the state that he was in, but he chose not to. He chose to stay because he had a purpose for Peter. In middle school, <clears throat> I, was, I had, you know, there's this girl in middle school, and, you know, I was like a little puppy in love with her, you know. And I was like, Lord, just let me, let me be her boyfriend, you know. And then, man, we, I could just see it, you know. She, she'd be my, my girlfriend, and then we'll go through high school together and college together, then we'll get married. And, you know, I had this big old plan in my, in my life. Well, the Lord didn't answer that request. And praise God, because I looked her up on Facebook, well, I, you know, several years later, and I was like, whoa! <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for not answering that request, right? Can I get an amen in here from anyone? <laughs> he sent me the perfect and sexiest woman. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord that Jesus didn't answer Simon's request. And one reason why I didn't submit to that request or grant that request, because that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to depart from sinners and remove himself from sinners. He came to seek and save sinners. He came for people like Simon Peter. He came for people like you and me. And just like Jesus singling out and calling Simon Peter, He's done that with you. He's focused his gaze specifically on you. Think about that for a second. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, focused his attention on you personally. Not to depart from you, but to have and grant an invitation to you. Come and follow me. Follow me and I will grant you forgiveness. Now, there, there, there will be a time at the day of the last judgment where Jesus will say these words, depart from me. If you are not in Christ, if you're not repentant, trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior at the final day of judgment, when you come before the judgment throw, Jesus will say, depart from me. But until then, as long as you are breathing, the invitation is come to me, come to me, come to me. So if you are sitting in your seat right now and you have not bent your knee to King Jesus, the invitation for you this morning is come to me. And everyone in here would encourage you to come to you, because, uh, come to Christ because in him is life and salvation and forgiveness. And how do you receive that invitation? You receive it by repenting of your sins, acknowledging yourself like Peter. I am sinful. I can't save myself. I can't do anything to earn favor with God. I trust in Christ and what he has done for me. And he will come in and save you. 
I don't know, it makes me want to sing amazing love. How can it be that God would, what? Should die for me. Again, Jesus doesn't respond or grant Peter's request. Instead, he does something else in verse 10. He responds in a different way, and this is so good. Look at verse 10, 10b. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Simon, do not be afraid. Notice that again, Jesus doesn't pile on Peter's confession. Doesn't say like, yeah, bro, you're pretty bad. You're out there. You're one of the worst sinners I know. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't respond, get this, he doesn't respond with condemnation. He responds with comfort. He responds with grace. He responds with mercy. He says, Simon Peter, do not be afraid. I am not going to use my power to harm you or destroy you. I'm going to use my power to save you, to wash you clean of all your sins. Now you're going to go from a sinner to a saint. You're going to go from death to life. Man, what gracious words that have come from the lips of Jesus to Peter and to you. Do not be afraid. You see, this is a this is a way, this is, this is Jesus showing himself as Messiah because in Isaiah 42 is prophesied that the Messiah would come and this is what this Messiah would do. This would be his actions of ministry. A bruised reed he will not break. A fainting, burning wick he will not quench. Peter was broke. Peter was a bruised reed. He barely had a flicker of light. And Christ didn't come in here to stomp it out, but to blow it and fan the flame. And this just isn't a one-time event, right? We know Peter at the end of his life, after three years of seeing all the miracles, everything, all the teachings of Jesus, he denied him three times. And then again, Peter, uh, Jesus finds Peter. John chapter 21, one of the greatest reconciliation and restoration passages there is all in Scripture. And he calls Peter. He focuses his attention on Peter one more time. And what does he do? Does he condemn Peter? No, he doesn't condemn him. He comforts him again. He comforts him again with his love, his mercy, and his grace. Listen, whenever you come to Jesus with a humble and broken soul, he will always use his power to comfort you and not condemn you. I love how Adoram Judson, he was a missionary to Burma, he says this, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, not only for the rivers of endless joys above, but for all of the comfort here below. Thanks be to God. Amen. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you, when you, when you sin, when you fall short, you reap guilt and condemnation over your soul, and that's what you walk in. But that's not what Jesus does for you if you are in Christ. He doesn't use guilt and condemnation. He uses grace, forgiveness, and comfort. But not only that, you see that Jesus comforts Peter, but then it's not all. After Jesus catches and comforts the man, Simon Peter, he now commissions the man, Simon Peter. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be what? Catching Men. You're going to circle that phrase, those two words, catchy men. Phenomenal thing. We'll talk about that in a second. Jesus tells Peter, hey, your best day of fishing, 
are ahead of you. Except you're not going to be catching fish. You're going to be catching men. You're going to be catching women. You'll be catching children. You'll be catching people. Just like I showed you my power through you catching these fish, I'm going to use you and show you my power through you catching men. This little phrase, catching men, you know what it literally means? It's two verbs that are connected. It means catching men alive. From now on, you're going to be catching men alive. You used to catch fish. They used to die. You used to go sell them in the market. Now you're going to catch men, women, children alive for all eternity. How awesome is that? You're going to be catching men, women, and children alive. Simon Peter receives this commission. You see in verse 11, they left everything immediately. Wait, just a, a few minutes ago, there, he was like, man, I don't even want to know if I want to go fishing with you, Jesus. There was a reluctant faith, but that's your word. But now, after seeing the power of God, there was no question. He was like, I'm following you. You said leave everything? I'm leaving everything, and I'm following you. And we see, we see that this, that Peter catching the fish is a foretaste of what Jesus was going to do with Peter in catching men, women, and children alive. And we see that in the book of Acts. The first half of the book of Acts is about Peter's ministry and catching people alive. Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the first gospel sermon. 3,000 people are caught alive. Acts chapter 4, 5,000 men are caught alive. Acts chapter 6, there's a summary. Listen to the summary. See if you catch the themes that we've been talking about. And the word of God continued to increase. Notice it didn't say, and Peter continued, and Peter's ministry continued to increase. No, 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 no. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And then Acts chapter 10, Peter, the, the gospel goes out to the Gentiles, which is good news for you and me, to those that aren't Jewish. The gospel goes out to Cornelius, and Cornelius and the Gentiles are now caught alive. It's an incredible act. This testimony that we get to read about Peter. But here's the good news. It didn't stop with Peter. This legacy, this commissioning that Peter got from Jesus is the same commissioning that you and I have to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all to observe and obey that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. It's my power that's going to lead you and me, commissioned by God through His Holy Spirit, informed by His Word, to catch people alive. Is that not something to live for? It's been passed down to you and me. Again, you and I were once dead, but now we're alive. We've been caught alive. And what do people caught alive do? They catch fish. That's what we do. We, 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 we're empowered by Christ with the gospel to go and catch fish. If you have been rescued by Jesus, then you are now on the rescue team. You have a commission. You are now a fisherman, and what do fishermen do? They fish. They fish. And notice, notice where Jesus caught Peter. Where did, where, where did Jesus catch Peter? Did he catch him in the synagogue? 
No, he caught him on the lake. He caught him on a boat. He caught Peter at his vocation, where he was at. He didn't wait for Peter to come to a synagogue. He went to Peter. Fishermen go where the fish are. They don't wait for the fish to come to them. Jesus went to the docks to catch Peter alive, and so do we. So here's a question for us as we close this morning. Out of all the applications, here's one of the greatest applications. Where do you and I need to go fish? What ponds? What lakes? What rivers? Do we need to take our boat, push out the deep, and drop our nets for a catch? Is it our neighbor? Some of us will go to CSU, drop our nets. Some of us go to Front Range. Some of us will go to the gym. Some of us will go to your workplace. You go to your workplace. You push out into the deep. You drop your nets for a catch. Some of us will be called to other lakes. Timnath, Johnstown, Denver, maybe overseas to the Czech Republic. We're all called to fish. And when we get to those lakes, when we get to those ponds, we we drop our nets for a catch and watch what Jesus is going to do through you and me. Just as Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, led Peter to catch people alive, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to use you and me to catch people alive. Amen? So when we walk out those doors today, Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing at the restaurants. Let's go fishing in wherever else you're going to go today. Let's go fishing. Trusting that Christ is going to do something through you and me, just as he did through Peter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great story, this great testimony of one of the most important men to be caught alive. And now you give us that commission. And so, Lord, I pray that that we would be passionate about what we've been commissioned to do, to co-catch people alive just as you have caught us alive through other fishermen. Give us that passion. Give us that passion for your word. Give us that passion to, to see and want you to do a work through your power through us and give us a passion for your comfort and your commission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.